absolutely delighted that our guest today is our old friend, Juan Flores. We've known Juan a long time, although that, that unfortunately reveals our age. And if you were to see Juan, he looks like he's 21, even though he's a full faculty member in the economic history department in Geneva. Part of the reason we are excited to have Juan here today is that we've been, since the beginning of this podcast, thinking a lot about a big systemic sovereign debt crisis that is likely to come our way because of the pandemic. And in thinking about this sovereign debt crisis, people have looked for solutions to history as is normally the case. And most of the people at the conferences we've been to, Zoom conferences, have tended to look to the Latin American debt crisis of the 1980s. And I've often wondered, uh, and I should confess, I, I have written some of these papers, but, but I've often wondered whether that's the right crisis to look to. In part, people look to it, it seems like, because many of them lived through it. And so that's what they know. And one wonders, shouldn't we be talking to the historians who study all of the crises? Uh, if we want a good sense of you know, which historical precedent to take insight from, we should have a wider arc of history perhaps. So Juan brings that, he, he has wonderful, deep knowledge of financial crises and particular sovereign debt financial crises, perhaps the deepest knowledge of anybody uh, out there. So we're welcome to our podcast, Juan. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mito. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> well, let me, let me start us out uh, with just a basic question that doesn't go into history, which is we're about one year since we started this podcast, or started talking about the podcast, which was in the wake of the March 2020 sudden stop. And Mark and I, you know, we thought we were on the brink of maybe the biggest sovereign debt crisis in history. And now a year later, uh, we haven't had that. We've had a lot of defaults, more than what is normal, but we haven't had uh, the dozen to a to 20 defaults that we thought we would see. So should we rest easy, Juan, or do you think that the, the shoe is yet to drop or the other shoe, or I, I, I can never get that shoe metaphor right. And in fact, now come to think of it, I don't even understand the shoe metaphor. Why are these shoes dropping? But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I think there are many different open questions and I, I'm not sure I am able to uh, answer to all of them. So uh, first of all, this is an ongoing crisis. So it's, it's, it's not over. I mean, from, from a health perspective, um, we may want to be optimistic uh, regarding vaccination and the thing uh, that uh, 
you know, the, the virus will uh, start to, uh, to, to see it and then that we uh, should uh, come up with the new medications and then, you know, that uh, things should come back to normality uh, in a very uh, near future. That said, uh, we are still uncertain about the duration uh, and about the immediate and medium term effects uh, in terms of economic recovery, um, you know, in terms of, of international trade, uh, about whether capital flows will behave differently uh, and so on. So, so in a sense, we're, we're facing different uh, scenarios. Um, and that means that it's, it's very difficult right now to, to forecast. But uh, so uh, if, if we look at the past um, and, uh, I, I, I guess this is this is where I can come up with a, with a comparative advantage. Um, so if we look at at the time that elapses between the uh, onset of a world crisis and then the the beginning of a wave of of, of defaults, well, there is usually a, a lag, right? So so um, we could see, for instance, that from the beginning of the fall in GDP of main crater countries. Um, we see then uh, defaults one year, two years, three years. Uh, and so I guess I dep it depends on many different uh, factors. And it depends, of course, on the individual position of each country and whether you know, it's a big debt or, 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 or a small debt, whether there, is, there, are contagions and, uh, there is contagion and so on. So there are many different factors there. Uh, just to give you some example, so uh, starting with, uh, with, with, with the Great Depression, if, if, if we think that, that the Great Depression started actually with the financial crash of 1929, and then we, we look at the, at the beginning of the, of, of, of the defaults, well, uh, Bolivia defaulted on January 1931, and it, it wasn't followed by other Latin American countries during that year. But then came uh, European countries, in 1932, and we, we, we saw exactly the, the same sequence as in Latin America, and then it ended up uh, with the German default in 1933. We're, so we're talking about more than three years in which we saw those, those defaults. And in, in, in another crisis, in, in, the, in the famous Great Depression of the 19th century, uh, again, so the crisis, the world economic crisis started actually in 1873, um, but then, uh, if we concentrate on major defaults by sovereign borrowers, well, we see, uh, for instance, the Ottoman Empire defaulting in October of 1875. We see Peru and Egypt defaulting in 1876. So again, we're, we're having a lag of about two to three years. And um, going uh, again, or coming uh, more to the present about the 1982 crisis that you were referring to, at the very beginning, if we think about the change in the economic cycle, the change in monetary conditions with the rise in interest rates, um, uh, it starts in March of 1980. And then uh, there is a fall in oil prices on which Mexico was so dependent. It actually had place in 1981. So uh, the, the eruption of the debt crisis uh, starts one year thereafter. So um, yes, I think um, there is still a reason for worrying or for to look at carefully at what may happen now in the next few years. 
Juan, that, that probably will be good news for me too, who is the more pessimistic. Um, well, we might be equally pessimistic. Me too derives pleasure from pessimism in a way that maybe um, that maybe is unique to me too. Uh, so it will be good news to know that we're not out of the woods. Um, I wanted to kind of follow up a bit on, so your, your answer drew on um, sort of commonalities that we see in a, a number of historical episodes. And it might be that that's um, the way we need to think about the, the, the present moment to, to learn from, from dynamics that have been consistently in play in the past. But I'm, I'm wondering if I can sort of push you to tell us whether there are closer analogies to particular historical episodes. And, and if so, what they might be. I mean, thinking about the present moment, a number of things seem distinct. There's the, the fact that the, the crisis is a pandemic rather than something that derives from underlying financial markets or economic conditions. There's the kind of multipolarity of the official sector and rich country world, what with the, the new role of China. So do these factors make the present moment unique? Is there a particular historical episode that has a lot to teach us here? Or am I thinking about this the wrong way and we should be interested in general, general lessons and common themes? Uh, yes. Uh, thank you, Mark. So these are, these are important uh, reflections that we as economic historians address, I would say, almost all the time. Um, and I think uh, history in, in this regard um, helps us actually um, to analyze uh, the current uh, economic uh, crisis. And, um, and, and, and perhaps I, I, should, I, should, uh, I should say that, I mean, every financial crisis is different you know? in, in one way or another. If you talk only to historians, they will tell you that you know, every, every time it's different, every time the context changes. And so uh, what we may need to identify are uh, you know, the, the right variables to look at um, to think about the alternatives that, that we have and about the potential consequences of each of those uh, alternatives. So uh, I guess when we, when we um, try to look at analogies, um, well, it, first of all, it depends upon the question that we may want to ask. Um, perhaps one starting question would be if the current institutional framework would be sufficient to deal uh, properly with the risks of a major debt crisis. No, so, so, so it's a typical questions that you, uh, you may want to address, whether we have the tools uh, to, uh, to, uh, to address sufficiently well the kind of challenges that, that we uh, may uh, have to face. Um, so in, the, in this regard, I understand uh, the preference of, of, of colleagues and policymakers uh, to look at the 1980s. No? And, and so as our colleagues in the 1980s were looking back at the 1930s. So in, in a way, it's, it's, it's just an additional tool that we have and, and, and to look into the past. 
And so, of course, we have to acknowledge so that uh, there are many differences. So, and, and, and you have already talked about some of them here in this, in this podcast. No? So, so it, it, nowadays, we're not facing a proper lending boom and bust like, like in the past, you know, the nature of creators are, are different. So uh, we had uh, commercial banks in the past, and now we have lots of uh, individual bondholders. Uh, but there are also some contrasts in terms of economic growth. So today we're kind of all in the same uh, boat. We had a white worldwide economic shock, whereas in the 1980s, uh, well, it was uh, almost mainly debt affected countries who mostly uh, suffered from the uh, from the crisis. However, I, I think the 1980s it it, it may uh, remind us about uh, different aspects, and and I would uh, uh, highlight one in particular. And it's kind of a warning. So it's it's how much, you know, social and economic costs can be caused by a badly badly managed uh, debt crisis. So if if, if we recall these uh, uh, lost decades in in Latin America, and how much that implied uh, in terms of economic of loss of economic uh, growth. Well, that that's that that's something that we we still discuss um, today as Latin American economists. Um, there may be others, no. So, for instance, the involvement of, of different actors when it's uh, necessary. No? So, in the 1980s, we we saw the, the proactivity of the U.S. government, um, kind of a, a new role for given to the IMF uh, and also to the to the BIS. As, as crisis managers providing uh, short-term or medium-term uh, loans. Um, we also saw uh, at the moment, uh, quite importantly, the cooperation between private um, and public and public sector uh, and the public sector. So um, for me, when I started uh, studying the 1982 crisis, I, I, I came from this context of, of the 19th century. So for me, it was kind of uh, like a, a Netflix series. So I had I had seen the first season, and so in a sense, I was I was watching the the second season where I I discovered new new actors, new protagonists, and also um, different uh, different roles that were given to each of them. Um, I would say another uh, positive point to look at the 1980s. Uh, was uh, to look at the at the different uh, bailout programs and the conditionality that was attached to each of them. So it, it was also kind of a learning by doing process. So it was not only about you know at the very beginning uh, dealing with inflation, with public finances, deficits, and so on, but more and more um, the uh, the main concern was about you know economic growth and about uh, potential need for, for debt relief, but that only happened seven years after the eruption of, of, of the crisis. One, so, um, might, yeah. I, might I um, ask about this analogy in particular to the 1980s crisis, a little more in, in terms of one particular aspect that worries me, but, but maybe I'm not understanding the nuances of it. So uh, if I remember my reading of the 80s crisis uh, and the, the Baker plan part of it, 
the commercial banks had overlent to many Latin American countries, but also countries in Asia and Africa with their with the petrodollars. And then when we realized they had overlent and uh, rates went up in the U.S. and uh, countries like Mexico could not refinance their repayment, we we sort of couldn't afford to do restructurings, or at least we from the Western world perspective could not afford to do restructurings because that would mean that these commercial banks would go bust. So we had years of extend and pretend to use the term I think that economists like to use, where we, we pretended that the debt was sustainable and lent these countries money and so that their um, their debt stocks or their debt overhang just either stayed the same or uh, grew, and things got worse. And that that again, I'm oversimplifying, resulted in all sorts of bad things. And what is what is often referred to as the lost decade in Latin America, until the Western world was ready. Uh, to do restructurings. They had dealt with their commercial banks and now they're like, okay, now we can do restructurings. So if I look at what's being done today, uh, for example, the common framework that uh, Mark and I have discussed, not with that much enthusiasm uh, on uh, this podcast many times, you know, one of the aspects of the common framework that just sends uh, uh, shudders through me is the sense, the strong sense there that debt relief will come in terms of extensions of maturity and uh, not in terms of debt reductions. And I think, how the hell do you know? I mean, these countries now have gargantuan debt stocks. And if I look at the situation in uh, countries like Brazil, India, um, you know, South Africa, Mexico, they don't have the kinds of vaccination uh, stockpiles that uh, the U.S. does. And soon they're going to have to try to borrow even more in order to buy vaccines. So then their debt stocks will increase even more. And if our only solution is this damn common framework where you just extend and pretend, then aren't we sort of consigning the world to another lost decade or worse um so yeah you, you you're right um me too so 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 there are there are two parts uh, regarding what 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 you were saying so the first part was were the building up of of the crisis and so uh, these commercial banks were 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 yeah were lending um before 1982 but they were also encouraged by uh, their own domestic governments. So as to um, boost international trade and exports from these countries. So, so, so in a sense, um, there was kind of a, a, an apparent uh, net that was supposed to protect these banks from something bad happening in these uh, borrowing countries. So when, when, when everything started, uh, I think there, there was kind of a, of a confidence that first of all, first of all, there would be the, the, the support from 
central banks, governments, and IMF towards these, uh, these countries. And the idea that th th there would be uh, only a problem of, of liquidity. And if, 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 if you look at, at the way uh, they started uh, when they were uh, they started managing the crisis. The idea was that economic growth would uh, would uh, would uh, resume quite uh, quite rapidly. So 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 the first uh, the first efforts were, were were to provide this rescheduling thinking about you know a time horizon which was uh, you know three months, one year, two years, and so on. So when the Forecasts uh, in terms of economic growth were uh, turned out to be to be wrong. Um, the question was, you know, what to do without really affecting the position of the lenders. So, in in, in that sense, you you're right that the, the, the first uh, the first concern from those managing the crisis was was to avoid uh, a worldwide uh, systematic crisis and 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 i think um and this is something that we we have seen also in the past that uh, in, in the first place you have to look at those actors that may uh, damage the most the world economy or the international financial architecture when you're Coming up with a solution, so um, and this is where I think it's it's not only the difference between how um, uh, lenders are treated as compared to borrowers, but also regard regarding um, the kind of borrowers. So we may think that you know Mexico is very important for the U.S. and therefore when when we look at how. Uh, defaults have been managed in, in, in the history of, of the Mexican economy. In, in a sense, that, 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 that there is that there is somehow always a preference to treat Mexico as a, as a very important actor. Of course, mainly for the U.S. economy. But when we see other borrowers, this uh, this treatment is is, is is very different. So. When we arrived to Brady, you know, after seven years, where you know it has to be acknowledged that some debt relief has to be um, has to be uh, granted. Um, well, Mexico is, is, is one case, but there were other cases that required more time, for which terms were not necessarily as favorable as as, 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 as Mexico. So, in that in that regard, I, I, I would I would I would say that. You know, it, it, it's not only about, you know, first of all, preference regarding creditors versus borrowers, but also that not all borrowers are, are equal. Juan, can, can we, as we go into break, I hope I can, I can um, set up what I think might be part of the conversation in the second half of the show um, by, so just by picking up on the, I think, Me Too's disappointment with the, implication in the the sort of common framework that we'll see some reprofilings or a bias towards that reprofiling rather than deep restructuring. And so it seems to me, despite the fact that I share Me Too skepticism, that the the common framework is trying to balance some competing considerations. So it, it's trying to uh, 
sort of articulate a series of rules that will allow for deep restructurings while recognizing that we're in a time of really easy financing conditions and everyone is just sort of paralyzed with fear that they might do something that will upset that um, that particular apple cart. I guess that's the metaphor. People really don't want to do anything that'll drive borrowing costs up. So we're in this weird position where we're like planning for crisis, but financing, we recognize that financing conditions are super, super easy. Are there models for effective crisis planning that meet sort of match those conditions? Like we, we can see the the headlight of the onrushing train and you know maybe it'll stop in time and it won't hit us but we there's a good chance it'll get here and we can see it and yet times are so good that um it's really hard to do serious crisis planning without creating uh the fear that the crisis will actually arrive what what should planners do in a situation like that um yeah so there are um there are different aspects of the, of, of, of the question there. And in some sense, I mean, we have two uh, different set of solution. And, and, and the most basic framework is that you now we have creators and borrowers, and then there is, there is a market and we just uh, leave uh, this market to operate. And then we just, we just see the, the results. So, we can take into account which are the economic conditions, the legal conditions, institutional conditions, and so on, and so on. However, um, you know, the, the, this is an uncommon setting. So it's it's not only about the market, but there is a recognition for the need uh, of you what what you were saying, a planner or an international organization or just a different actor. And in that regard, I am inclined to think that um, because politics matter, because the, the effects of this crisis may go uh, beyond uh, public debt, we, uh, we may think that um, this that the politics may 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 lead different third actors to um, be more proactive about other other solutions. Um, and here, the novelties that I have I have seen in the past um, is precisely the emergence of, for instance, you know, League of Nations stepping in in the nineteen twenties when governments were out of cash when uh, markets were uh, not um, uh, accepting countries that had suffered to war. So market access was, was lost. And so there were different proposals to, to arrive to, uh, with, uh, with innovative uh, solutions. Um, in this case, and this is, this is why it is, uh, it is, it is so exciting, and it is that for many different countries, we have not arrived to this worst scenario in which you know, markets have already excluded those governments that are suffering the most for the crisis, or at least not, not for, for, for many of them. 
So in a sense, there is, there is, there is some room there from a pure market perspective. Um, I don't know if, if, if there is a model for that or not, but, 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 but in a sense, we, we, we have not arrived into that scenario for, for, for many countries. Um, and so that means that the institutional innovations that we may come up with, um, that, that the, the margin of maneuver may be still large precisely because, because of this kind of a backup. Uh, how this um, new uh, innovative uh, so, solution may, 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 uh, may be uh, shaped or uh, who is going to, uh, to assume that leadership, I, I, would, I would have, uh, I would think that it uh, may uh, mainly depend upon, upon the political uh, willingness of, of, of governments from, from the main creator countries. Thank you, Juan. Let's take a, a short break and then we can come back and pick up on, on some of these things. So Juan, in some of your, your work, you've explored the changing role of States, often capital exporting states and, and international institutions in, in shaping debt markets. And you were talking a little bit about the work the League of Nations had done in the 1920s and extending into the 1930s. I guess I'm, I'm sort of interested more broadly in what role you think rich country governments and international financial institutions ought to be playing in the context of COVID. And, and um, you know, we touched on that a little bit, but I, I was hoping you could say a bit more before we um, uh, maybe transition into some more COVID related topics. Yes, uh, of course. So um, I think, for, for, first of all, you know, the political willingness of creditor countries um, is very important to determine uh, the support provided um, to bondholders and or to uh, borrowing countries. So um, again, if you, if you look back uh, to history, um, I would be inclined to think that you know, during the 19th century, you have uh, on the one hand, uh, bondholders, on the other hand, borrowing countries. And in a sense, bondholders were quite actively supported by their own governments. Precisely because, you know, for a borrowing country, some loss of sovereignty was uh, a, a, real, a real threat. And uh, so you, you could have a look at these um, international financial commissions, you know, if you look at the Egypt's Egypt default in 1876, it ends up uh, with the establishment of a colonial regime. So, so, so the, 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 it is important to see uh, the, the, the role of, of, of governments uh, when solving those crises. If, if, if you look at the post-1945 period or the defaults that were actually solved after the Great Depression, this, this balance was uh, changed and, and the shift towards more support to borrowing countries was, was there. Um, so uh, creator governments uh, took very, very often the lead 
in um, resolving uh, sovereign defaults. And so uh, you could see uh, haircuts um, were much higher than what we have uh, seen uh, before. And so it was, it, it, it was important to, to see that you know, the priority was not always you know, the default sovereign debt. There were other uh, priorities such as you know, geopolitics, uh, recovery of international trade, um, and so on. So, 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 so in that regard, the role of, of, of creator governments was, was important. So when, 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 when we look at these different episodes and, and, and we stop uh, during the interwar, um, the League of Nations was precisely one effort to provide a balance between the support that is given to bondholders, but also the support that is provided to uh, borrowing uh, governments. So uh, in a sense, what we, what, what we had uh, before the, uh, the emergence of the League of Nations was always kind of bilateral solutions. And right? so if you have French bondholders, it was mainly the French government who would step in. If it was British bondholders, it, was, it would be rather the British government. So in, in a sense, the, the League of Nations op opened this, um, this umbrella and tried to reconcile, first of all, the interests, of course, of all these different creator governments and uh, their respective bondholders, but also the interest of, 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 of the own uh, borrowing government. So in, in that regard, the fact that the League of Nations, what it did uh, already in the 1920s was uh, precisely to uh, facilitate the functioning of uh, a dormant sovereign debt market um, and give access to those borrowing governments without actually affecting uh, the rights of, of, of bondholders. So in that regard, I, I would be inclined to think that this you know, uh, multilateral solution provided uh, a, an interesting solution um, in the aftermath of uh, World War I. Juan, um, if I may, to focus more on um, COVID, but to build on what you just said uh, and the history with the League of Nations. So, you know, when I talk to people, just say, you know, if I go to play tennis in the morning, uh, I'm in Florida right now, and people are very optimistic. They, they, they are mostly vaccinated, even in Florida. Uh, and th they think things are coming back to normal. They're talking about uh, traveling to Europe soon. But, but for me, because my family's in India, uh, things have never been worse. I mean, the, the pandemic is spreading fast and people are dying. There are more variants. And they, all of this, the, this worries me in part because the institutions today that look after the financial markets like the IMF, you know, they're very focused on the financial markets. And then the other institutions that care about health, uh, like the WHO or the World Bank, or that care about uh, climate change, like aspects of the world, uh, parts of the World Bank and the United Nations, 
they don't really do that much about the financial markets. And it occurs to me that we don't have a good coordinated solution. And what we are seeing now is potentially a situation where the Western nations are improving. They're getting back to normal. Uh, they're worrying about things like too much uh, easy money from the Fed. So they're gonna start constraining that. Markets will tighten. And uh, the poorer countries who desperately need to be able to borrow to be able to buy the vaccines, assuming that you know, the drug companies are not gonna give it to them for free, uh, will find borrowing harder and harder. And uh, that this um, could be uh, quite disastrous. And I, I don't know whether history has uh, lessons to teach us about what happens when different parts of the world go in very different directions with something like a pandemic? I realize this is a very unfair question, but you know, you and I have deep connections to the, the developing world and uh, optimism here is not always uh, a good sign for us. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right, me too. Um, so, um, to look at a pandemic, it's of course already different from a pure financial crisis. Um, so you know, it 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 affects. It's, it's like a shock. It 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 affects supply and demand. Um, the shock is international, but also national. So in a sense, it's like like a perfect storm. You know? so it, there's a sudden stop, but there is also fall in demand, fall in commodity prices. Um, there is a crunch in public finances, fall in employment, and so on. And everything arises in a very short uh, period of time. So I think, I think you're right regarding um, the um, potential for recovery, which is asymmetric between rich and poor uh, countries. So um, we may think that um, you know, uh, Western countries and the US uh, will recover uh, much more rapidly than uh, borrowing uh, borrowing countries. So, um, so in that regard, uh, if if I may want to uh, to uh, to shed some optimism here, um, this recovery may may uh, also um, add something to recovery in, in in poor nations, and then where we should focus is how to um, improve also the shape of, of domestic factors of, 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 of domestic demand, how to face you know, uh, the, 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 the increase in expenditure uh, for health and for all immediate and urgent social, social needs. So, so that's, 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 that's one thing. Um, your thing, and uh, here I, I, I completely uh, agree with you, is that of course the political willingness to act in a more uh, with more solidarity uh, from rich from a rich country's perspective? Um, we we may think that it's it, it's in a sense uh, kind of uh, uh, let's say individualistic, um, and so um, if we may 
talk about some 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 kind of 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 help of of, of support. Um, there has to be in a rich country's own interest. So it is perhaps because it's an important international trade partner, because there is some kind of political affinity, um, etc. So. Um, I would be inclined to uh, to think that at the end of the day, um, we're all in the in the same uh, boat, which means that at the moment some kind of priority may be uh, given also to uh, to these countries. And let me let me just uh, add something more specific about that. So if if we if we look back at history, you know when when we uh, because you were talking about a lack of coordination. You know, every time when we when we think about sovereign debt crisis, we we mainly think about you know financial stability. Um, but in some cases, and uh, coming back to Brady and so on, we also thought about you know economic growth, about uh, international trade, and about geopolitics. And um, in a sense, here at some moment, we will have to talk about public health. Because public health, as you said, would, would there is a risk that it will continue to deteriorate in poor countries. So either because these problems of public health will again affect countries, uh, rich countries, because you know there are some new variants and so on, um, or because this lack of economic recovery will end up affecting strongly also the recovery of international trade, that this should be coming to, uh, to the fore at some moment. So, so now I, I would have the, the, the concern that, um, this, that when, when we realize this, it, it may be too, uh, too late or it may be too costly. So um, in a sense, what we have to, to think about is how to bring those um, rather long-term concerns to, to the present. So how can we, how could we manage to have political support in Western countries to be willing to address these kind of rather medium-term issues from their own perspective? And yet that seems like a, extraordinarily difficult thing to do do you have any uh, we've taken up a ton of your time so maybe i can just squeeze in this last question do you have any sense of optimism that that's achievable i mean that that comment relates not just to the pandemic but we can say the same thing about all kinds of other sort of existential problems most notably climate related problems do you have any sense of optimism that we can do that well like 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 like, like climate change or perhaps um, even wars, um, the most concerned are those that are suffering them uh, directly. And uh, so I would have, uh, or perhaps I would, I, I would uh, like to think that because the consequences of this uh, crisis will uh, come up rather sooner than, than later, it may be in the form of, of, of migration, for instance, or in other more um, you know, concrete 
forms, you know, the fall of international trade, or also um, non-performing loans, also affecting international banks, that that may uh, become be, become an issue. You know? And I was I was hearing the other day that um, I mean, for the for the first time since since many years. Um, Mexican immigration to the U.S. is starting to rise again. So in that regard, when we see these concrete variables that are directly affecting um, society and uh, international economic relations, then we may see um, uh, more political willingness from, uh, from, from Western countries. Well, let us hope. I six months ago, I would have not been willing even to concede that much, but I'm slightly more optimistic now than I than I would have been then. Um, uh, but thank you, Juan, so much for joining us. Um, we we really happy that you were able to come. I know we took a lot of your time, but um, there's so much that we wanted to talk to you about. We appreciate you being so generous with us. So thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.